Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is Hollywood Behind Closed Doors with Frank McKay on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, David Bedford is just a wonderful author. He's a Beatles historian and he's a podcaster, uh, producer of uh, documentaries. He was the associate producer, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong, and the historian on the documentary Looking for Lenin. And uh, it was one, just wonderful, and, and David's wonderful, and I'm thrilled to have him here. David, how are you? I'm very good, and thank you for that introduction. I don't know if I could afford a publicist to write that for me. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, you, you could do your own writing. My God, uh, it, your, your books are, are, are world-renowned, and, and you get rave reviews on all of your work uh, on, on the Beatles. And I, I guess other things. Let's, let's find out a little something about you before we get into your work uh, and start out from the beginning. Where were you born and where were you raised? Okay, well, um, I grew up in the Dingle, so that's where uh, Ringo Starr is from. Literally at the bottom of Ringo Street, Madrin Street. If you go, turn right 20 yards, that was my back gate. So I lived around there till I was 24. I went to the school that Ringo went to, St. Silas. That was his uh, primary school, elementary school. Uh, it, it's so I, needless to say, he's a legend in your your neighborhood. I mean, he's a legend everywhere, but he's, oh, yeah. in your neighborhood, yeah. he's an absolute legend. Oh, absolutely! Because I missed I missed all the Beatles stuff. I wasn't born till nineteen sixty five, um, so I I missed everything first time round, which is why I love finding out about it. Um, so that was the first big connection for me. Uh, was living around there till I was 24. And then uh, White and I, we moved out to an area called Mosley Hill, which most people won't know, but it's half a mile from Penny Lane, which you might have heard of. Yeah. Um, And then we've got three daughters. They were all born in the same hospital John Lennon was born in. And they attended the primary school that John Lennon and George Harrison went to. So I've sort of had the Beatles around me my whole life. I, let me ask you about growing up on the block of uh, of Ringo. Uh, were mm. any of his family members still in the neighborhood? Uh, not in the neighborhood, no. Um, he was an only child, and so he didn't have a big family to start with anyway. I think there's still, there's a couple of relatives still in Liverpool, um, but he only had a very small family anyway. Uh, what about the house that he grew up in? Um, uh, was it uh, was it sold for any any additional money than what a normal house in that area would be? Did you ever try to buy the house? Well, the interesting stories go along with that. Um, he was born at Nine Madrin Street, and about almost a good fifteen years ago, um, government at the time decided they were going to knock down some of the older housing and build brand new houses. And this included the streets uh, and the house where Ringo was born. Um, so a number of us decided to get together a little committee there was four of us in the main called Save Madrin Street which was basically there to save Ringo's birthplace this went on for years and years eventually there was um, there was about three changes of government in that period and there was a national 
um, government's inquiry, which I then had to go to and put the case for Beatles fans everywhere as to why they shouldn't pull down Ringo Starr's birthplace, which is a bit daft. Yeah. Um, but but we made the case and we saved Ringo's house. So as we speak, it has been renovated. All the streets on there, because um, they were good houses when they were built. They're all being um, renovated and restored at the moment. So in a matter of weeks, the house he was born in will be habitable again. Um, what happens to it, we don't know at this stage, but it, it won't be a museum or anything like that. Well, what's but, the, um, what, what would be the price tag on a house like that? I'm sure there's Beatle fans listening who would, uh, uh, who would entertain it. Uh, what, what's the housing values over there? Well, the, down there in the Dingle, the um, house values aren't the highest. So it, it'd be talking less than 100,000. Um, there's, there's a few Beatles fans who have bought houses. Um, so the house that Ringo grew up in, lived in for the age of five. Um, there's a very odd Beatles fan that's bought that. Um, she also owns uh, John Lennon's mum's house and George Harrison's house as well. You know, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I just can't imagine Ringo himself wouldn't just buy it just to, you know, I mean, <laughs> preserve it. I mean, a hundred grand. I mean, that's interest uh, for uh, for one of his accounts, I'm sure. Uh, again, our, yeah, very, pocket money. <laughs> yeah, our special guest here is David Bedford, and he's the author of uh, Liddy Poll. I believe that was his first one. The Fab One Plus yeah. Four. And, uh, and again, uh, it, so much more from him and we're going to find out as we go along really what a wonderful career he's put together and uh, is a wonderful podcast and we'll find out about that now and you got to visit his pages uh every everything beatles i mean he's just he's amazing when it comes to the history of the beatles and and you're just hearing that very short segment there uh, you know how close he is to the action tell us about the podcast and where people can hear it yeah the podcast uh, people have asked me for a while um, to do that um, and obviously I've been doing interviews and um, podcasts and radio interviews and stuff for years um, but I, I was looking around as podcasting became more popular um, a couple of years ago I was thinking we need a, a Liverpool based one and a good friend of mine Paul Beasley who is um, a Beatles tour guide a Liverpool tour guide um, he also does stuff at Radio Merseyside uh, which I've done in the past as well so we just decided, let's do this, see if it works. So we started, it's called Liddy Pod, because of course Liddy Pool was, as you say, was my first book. Yeah. So we thought we could Liddy Pod. Um, and literally, it's just, it's me and Paul picking the topic, and as we call it, a bit of Beatles banter. Um, and we want to keep it specifically Beatles and Liverpool, so it, it's it's unique. So sometimes you do a bit of the, the history of the city and how that then ties in with the Beatles. Um, and we do some uh, interviews as well for people connected to the Beatles in Liverpool. So, um, yeah, you've got, you've got a great response to it. People are absolutely loving it. So if you want to listen, you go to just LiddyPod, so it's L-I-D-D-Y-P-O-D.com, and you can sign up, listen on various platforms um, and get notifications when there's new episodes. Let me ask you about uh, Liverpool. Actually, you've been, uh, it, you, you're 
blessed by timing in a way, but uh, but cursed by timing. Like I was born in '67, so uh, you know I grew yeah. up with the Beatles, but the Beatles were already broken up, but they were all alive. Yeah. And, and well, and and you know I dreamt uh, even as a young kid as you know a Beatle reunion and all of that. But here you are growing yeah. up on the same block that that Ringo was, and uh, let me ask you about Liverpool in general. Obviously, the Beatles put it on the map as far as a an international catcher. When you hear Liverpool, the first thing you think of are the Beatles and music and everything that came from that. And again, it's not just the British invasion, but it's everything that came. You can't find anyone in music who wasn't influenced by the Beatles and or someone who was influenced by the Beatles influencing those people. So it's, yeah. it's a historic city at this point. At that point, at the point when they started, can you can you have a direct connection to the growth of the city, and uh, in any other way other than uh, awareness, uh, and the Beatles? I mean, uh, they they have to have been good for the city of Liverpool. It's actually interesting when it comes to the timing. Um, Liverpool, as a town, has been in existence since twelve oh seven, so we're over eight hundred years old. Um, to the 18th, 19th centuries, we became one of the most important commercial ports in the world. Um, in the old British Empire, we were second only to London. So we were a huge international port. Um, dealing with a lot of the world trade in, in cotton, tobacco and sugar, etc. Um, he was involved in the American Civil War, which is a whole other topic. Um, so Liverpool was, was a massive commercial port. Um, we had the... the the biggest ships in the world, the Cunard Line, the White Star Line, sailing Liverpool, New York, etc. But at the time of the Beatles' rise to popularity in the 60s, that was the beginning of the decline of Liverpool as a port city. And we lost a lot of people, had to leave because there were no jobs. There was an economic decline. And this affected us through the 70s and the 80s. And it was one of the poorest cities then. Um, not just in, in the country, but in Europe. So we were really struggling. But this is one of the, the sad things of timing was when John was murdered at the end of 1980. Beatles fans and Lennon fans wanted to come to Liverpool and see where he'd grown up, where he lived, where the Beatles had been. And there was nothing here. You know, the, the cabin was long gone. There was no tourism. Since then, we're now talking of a, a revival of Liverpool, particularly with European capital culture back in 2008. There's billions of pounds of investment coming to the city, and Beatles tourism now is worth conservatively 85 to 90 million pounds per year. Wow. It is, it's a huge part. Now, the tourism is so big. We've got the cruise ships are now coming back to the city. So, of course, every time when the ships come in, they want to go and explore. So you can have a couple of thousand people suddenly going off and spending their money in Liverpool. So it, it's, and the Beatles are very much at the heart of that. So they have been absolutely wonderful over the last particularly 15 to 20 years. Let me remind folks, if they're just tuning in a little late or turning on their radios a little late, uh, Frank McKay here with David Bedford, and he is a Beatles historian and uh, a podcaster and author of, uh, of several books and 
um, his uh, his book uh, Looking for Lenin, uh, and uh, well, I'm sorry, his work on the film Looking for Lenin, uh, award-winning film. Uh, he was an associate uh, producer and the historian for that uh, great film and. Uh, really, uh, just uh, what a career David has put together, and he's got uh, some wonderful websites where Beatle fans can go and Lennon fans can go. And again, Frank McKay here, thrilled to have David Bedford as our guest. Uh, let's uh, talk about some of your, your pages, and, and if you point people yeah. to them real quick before we continue, um, uh, where, where's a good starting point for folks uh, you know, who hopefully aren't driving at the moment, but uh, if they're in front of their computer, where, where, can, they, where can they go? And the best place is just to go to davidabedford.com and that covers everything, links to the podcast, everything else. Uh, lots of information about uh, my books, um, a bit about the Looking for Lennon film, and I post uh, blogs regularly about Beatles history, particularly with stuff that I've covered in, in the three books um, that are published so far. So davidabedford.com, easiest place to get me. Growing up in Dingle, uh, on the same block as, as Ringo Starr, uh, your parents, what kind of relationship did they have with the Beatles, uh, or what was their attitude towards the Beatles? Uh, did you did you have both folks living with you in the Dingle? Um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was one of four kids, um, so that there's, uh, with, with mum and dad living in the Dingle, um, they had absolutely no interest in... Um, the Beatles in, in popular music at all. Uh, my dad was a vicar in the Church of England, so that the church he was vicar at was um, St. Philemon with, with St. Silas, right down in the heart of the Dingle. Um, his music, he was more into classical, even a bit of Tijuana brass, and about the closest he got to popular music was Johnny Cash. Mm. So, it, it, that they... Neither mum or my dad were Beatles fans or into the music at all. So I sort of, I found that on my own. What about the teachers in your in your school? And as you're starting, I'm trying to think of timeline here. Uh, I guess when you're, when you're 10 years old, um, it's, uh, it's 1975. And, uh, and, you know, around, you know, somewhere around that time, the, uh, the Beatle maniacs, you know, the Beatle mania, uh, kids, uh, men and women, uh, have grown up, and they're probably teachers at that point. And I, I'm sure some some were, and some weren't Beatle fans. Did you have a, a a unique experience growing up in the Liverpool schools, and what was their handling or their reaction to the Beatles' success? Um, funny enough, absolutely zero. Because one thing you have to understand is that with the Beatles breaking up at the beginning of 1970. They had effectively left Liverpool in 1963. And during the 60s, once they'd gone, I'd say there was quite a, a rapid decline in manufacturing as well as the shipbuilding and the other um, businesses. So unemployment was really high. Nobody really had the time for a group that had split up in 1970 and hadn't been seen for years. Everybody was too preoccupied with trying to find a job, trying to keep a job in a city which, in a way, was, was quite depressed. And so there was no focus, there's no real concentration or much discussion about the Beatles at the time. I was certainly not aware of that um, at school. Mm. 
it, when it, it seems strange to think about it, but that's that, that was the reality of Liverpool in the 1970s. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. So when did it hit you? And and again, you and I missed the Ed Sullivan show, but here, and, and yep. you, were, you were in Liverpool, so you wouldn't have seen the Ed Sullivan show, but here... Mm-hmm. Every musician that I ever talked to, and I interview all types of uh, actors and uh, and actresses, authors and uh, musicians, famous rock stars, and they always point to the Ed Sullivan, the first showing uh, of the Ed Sullivan show in, in February of '64, yeah. as as almost like the moon landing, you know, like almost like yes. uh, you know, this is where I was, and after that moment, this is what happened to me. And it's it's as uh, it's as a historical a moment that I could find in pop culture as as anything else. I mean, mm. maybe maybe it's it's the moment in pop culture that uh, that ultimately a hundred years from now will be rem- remembered uh, as uh, as the number one. It really got everything all started and everything else. But for you personally. Since you and I missed the Ed Sullivan show, what, when did it hit you? When did it, the the Beatles phenomenon hit you? And again, it, you grew up in the Dingle. You grew up uh, down the block from Ringo Starr's uh, birthplace. Uh, when did it hit you? And when did you start really listening or or studying, researching? When did that all happen? Um, right, there were several things that happened. Um, first one when I started playing guitar. Um, so that would have been the late 70s. So the first music book I got was The Beatles Complete, all the songs at the courts. Me too. Um, yeah, and I've still still got it. It's absolutely battered, but I've, I've still got the book. So I, I always liked the music, but I think what really focused it for me was waking up on the morning of the 9th of December, 1980. And I was, getting ready, I was 15, getting ready to go to school. And my little alarm clock radio goes off, and the first words I hear is, "John Madden has been shot dead." Oh my gosh! And that—that's what I woke up to, and I was just, "What?" And that seemed to, I think, certainly in Liverpool, that was the moment when everybody came back together and thought, "Hang on a sec, what's just happened?" And then, because there's a huge. Um, Candlelit Vigil down the city centre which Sam Leach one of the great Beatles promoter um, which he organised and suddenly there was this almost like this need to remember Beatles from the 60s and there was this whole focus back on the group again so I'd say it's a sad moment but that's what sort of sparked a great revival as it were in, in the city and that's certainly for me that's when I thought, oh yeah, hang on a sec. I love those songs. Let me go and think about them, learn to play more of the songs, listen to them more. Um, but the actual, getting it into the, the writing and the researching bit, that didn't happen for quite a long time. Um, that was, you know, I'd maintain, stuff, I'd, I'd love the Beatles music and stuff anyway. But with um, our, our daughters going to Dovedale School, um, in the summer of 2000, we were doing a bit of fundraising um, to do some work for the playground. 
And the person who responded to our requests was Yoko Ono. And Yoko said, you know, John loved his time at Dovedale. How much money do you need? And we said, we need about £27,000. And she said, well, I'll give you £30,000. Do everything that you need to. Have some money in the fund. And then she, she'd been over to the school a number of times. Um, made some more private donations as well. It was actually fantastic. And I thought, that's not the Yoko that I've read about. No. Um, a friend of mine was writing for um, a London Beatles fan club magazine. So I, I got in touch with the editor and said, this is what's happened. Are you interested in the story? And he said, yeah. So that was the first piece I ever wrote. Now that coincided at um, quite a difficult time for me because I, I left school um, after doing my A-levels at um, age 18. And uh, <clears throat> I went straight into it for an insurance company. And I ended up with a really good job there, a sales manager. But then, at the end of 1998, I started getting a bit of what I thought was joint ache, which they thought was arthritis. In the end, in the summer of 2000, I got signed off work for a month by my doctor which had never happened to me in my life what was going on. And in fact, <clears throat> I never returned to work after that. I was um, 12 months later diagnosed with fibromyalgia and um, osteoarthritis. And I was told that I would never work again. Wow. And that was the age of 35. And I got you know, married, three young kids. And I thought, oh, what do I do now? So I'd just written my first piece on Yoko. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll write some more. I thought, well, of course, I've grown up with the Beatles all around me. I'll go and find out more about all these places. So I wanted to go and um, get a book on the Beatles in Liverpool. And there wasn't one. Wow. Which I, I, I thought, hang on, the Beatles are from Liverpool. All there was was a small tour guide, little little guidebook. So I started picking up a couple of books. Um, and Bill Harry was a great inspiration to me with, with his books. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I started reading them and then reading a couple of others and then realising that books weren't agreeing with each other. And I was coming across all these stories, I'm thinking, hang on, something's not right here. And for a lot of these authors... They'd never been to Liverpool, it was obvious. And they were just repeating stories. So I thought, okay, I've got some time on my hands. I'll go and find out what really happened. And through the fan club, I started then interviewing people, so I got to know the guys from the Quarrymen, John's first group. Yeah. Um, and they've helped me numerous times over the years. And I just started meeting all these different people connected to the Beatles and interviewing them. And I thought... I put this together in a little book. It was something to do, and my doctor was brilliant. He encouraged me, he said, you know, you've got to do something, you've got to keep your brain active, because um, physically I, I couldn't play football, cricket and golf, and all that kind of stuff I used to. So he said, find the interest, and he encouraged me. Um, so I found I was really getting into this, and the historian in me wanted to know the truth. So I just kept, digging and digging and 
interviewed more and more people and put the book together. And, I mean, it took me nine years from when I first started. It was nine years before the book came out and I only got the publishing deal two years before it was published. So, I was, in a way, it was my therapy. If you like that, my doctor prescribed the Beatles and it became my therapy for years. <laughs> wow. I, um, so I've, hey, let me interrupt yeah. you just to remind folks of who they're listening to. David Bedford is a great Beatles author and historian and, you know, of course, uh, you know, his work on Lenin is uh, is is unbelievable, untouchable. It's just incredible. And, and the Beatles in general. He grew up down the block from where uh, Ringo Starr was uh, born and raised, and, uh, and you know, at least till, till a young age, uh, Ringo was, and uh, that was in the Dingle, Liverpool. Frank McKay here, reminding everyone, David Bedford is our guest. And if you walked away, another reminder, you're listening to Breaking It Down, Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, uh, check, it, check out davidabedford.com, and uh, it's a good starting point for the author and our guest, David Bedford. And he's from Liverpool. His first book was Liddy Pole, uh, the Fab Four plus four, uh, plus one, right? Do I have that? Oh, the, the Fab One plus it's, four. It's the Fab One Hundred and Four. Oh, one hundred and four. Okay. Yeah, my apologies. Uh, but anyway, David Bedford uh, is just just wonderful. He's a wonderful read on everything he touches, and uh, and check out his his sites. But uh, he is he's about everything Beatles, and and before him. Uh, there, there were no books written uh, about Liverpool and the Beatles that that were worth mentioning anyway, and and, and none that he could find. He was looking, and he filled a, a yeah. void, and uh, it was just absolutely terrific. Frank McKay here, once again welcoming uh, David Bedford back. Uh, David, let me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, let me yeah ask you I, just a, an incredible story about your your doctor <laughs> prescribing the Beatles basically, mm. and and. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, it's a- absolutely uh, terrific. Uh, the difference between a, a Liverpudlian and, and, a, and a Londoner, for example, and I think yeah. we we don't know the difference, you know, here in America, but the Beatles uh, taught us what the difference was. There was a, it's a different accent. I hear, you know, like yeah. when I talk to people from London, it's much different than it is uh, talking to you oh, or Pete Best or, or whatever. But but yeah. give us give us the differences and and what do you think the Beatles underline about those differences? Um, well, geographically, London is just over two hundred miles away from us. In terms of um, the way we live, uh, the accent, the attitude the friendliness, it might as well be on a different planet. Um, because being from the north of England, as we are here, the comments we get time and time again when people visit Liverpool is how friendly a city it is. Um, which is very different to the attitude in London. It's a, lot, it's a lot busier. People keep their heads down, very rarely talk to each other. If, if you're a visitor to Liverpool and you sit next to a local person, give them 15 minutes and you'll know their life story because they will tell you, they will tell you, even if you don't want to know, they will tell you. Um, If you get lost, they'll take you to where you need to be. It's a wonderfully warm city, Liverpool. The problem for the Beatles back in the early 60s was, even though we were a huge commercial port, very important, the media was all centred in London. The only proper recording studios were in London. The television, 
international radio, the newspapers, everything was there. They had to move there. And they noticed, particularly in the first, say, six months after Love Me Do came out at the end of 62, they were going around trying to talk to all these um, different, sometimes promoters, but the journalists, and said, and their attitude. At one point, I think John, you know, he didn't have the, uh, the best of temperaments with some people anyway. He was getting so fed up of being asked the same stupid questions, and the journalists obviously weren't interested in what they were saying. They got so fed up, I think John would have punched one of them in another half an hour. <laughs> the attitude, it is really, it's almost like, I think within England, London is almost like a separate country on its own. It, it's weird. It, it's so different to how the rest of the countries, and particularly we talk about a north-south divide. It, it is a huge, huge difference. And people notice that even just, you know, coming from London, coming up to Liverpool for 200 miles, they notice how different it is. And I think one of those things that certainly I know uh, when the Beatles came to America, you know, that if you watch the press conferences, they were so funny. You know, I think that people loved that. They weren't especially different because in Liverpool, we naturally have a sense of humour. And so the Beatles could get away with anything. And I know it, when I come over to the States and uh, I give my talks, etc., at those uh, Beatles conventions, I can get away with almost anything if I do it with a smile mm. and a bit of a laugh because that's what they expect. Um, and that's what Liverpool people are like. You know, we're warm, we're friendly, we're welcoming. But, you know, we're a huge cosmopolitan city. And i got to admit, I never understood why John Lennon wanted to go and live in New York. Never got it until I went to New York for the first time. And I felt at home. And I got it straight away. New York is just a very big version of Liverpool. We are so similar. You know, big cosmopolitan ports. It's all about the river. Yeah. It's all about the people. Um, it's such a connection between the two cities. Yeah. So we have, we have a lot in common. Yeah, amazing. You know, it really, I, I mean, I wouldn't have uh, ever thought of that until you just said that, but it, it makes perfect sense. Frank McKay here with yeah. David Bedford. Go to davidabedford.com. He's a Beatle historian and just a wonderful author. Buy his books. Go to Amazon. Or actually, go to his website. And it's a good starting point. But buy all his books and, and check out the film Looking for Lennon. And uh, he's such a huge part of that. He's the historian. Frank McKay here with David. Going back to the, you mentioned the press conferences and, uh, and yep. them being so friendly. One of the things and I'm not the first to, to bring this up, but I, I underline this all the time. I, the Beatles' interaction with the press was a departure from anything that we've ever had before because they saw, yeah. the, they saw the press as, you know, as just guys, you know, maybe older guys, maybe, yeah. you know, nerdier guys or whatever you want to look, you know, less hip guys than they were at, at the time, but they saw them as just guys and gals. They didn't see them as, like, this pedestal. And, and you could see... You know, Elvis, when he's talking to the press, it's, you know, yes, sir, or no, sir. And, uh, you know, mm. this great deal of respect and almost making the media out to be something, you know, above them. Whatever, the Beatles were yes. the first. 
historically to talk to the press as if they were on their own level. And obviously, I mean, if you're chasing around guys with microphones, you're not on their level. You're, you're you know, you're below <laughs> them. And and the Beatles got that right away. I mean, am I right yeah. or wrong in in my assessment? You're a historian. Are, are they the first to really depart from that? Uh, this this worship of the press or treating the press as this uh, as this special entity rather than speaking to them on their own level. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I think you, you make a very valid point, and I think this is where uh, Brian Epstein takes credit. He realised how important it was to take the four lads who were still dressed in leather and clowning around on stage. He saw them as a piece of musical theatre. You know, he, he smartened them up. He got them in their suits. He showed them who to respect and how to do that. And very much he knew that he had those four personalities which would always come across well and by the time they got to um, the States you know they'd already been having what over just over 12 months of really becoming to the national attention in Britain um, Beatlemania had been coined in, in the November they'd done two great UK tours they were now they were used to dealing with the press over in the UK and one of those things I think Brian would have instilled into them was the importance of the press conferences. But also, they found they were able to relax and just be themselves. And that is the Liverpool way. And you think, okay, yeah, I'm not putting these press on a pedestal. I know I need to use them. It'll be useful. But I'm not an idiot. And so they would just, they would answer back. And I think because... They were clowning around between the four of them. I think when they got that reaction from the um, from the journalists there who were enjoying it, they thought, fine, we've got the formula. Let's go with it. And it was, as you say, a departure from anything that had gone before. Who's still... And just switching gears here a moment, who's who's mm. still in Liverpool uh, as far as the relatives, the um, descendants of the Fab Four, who who's there, or any any key members, uh, you know, of their circle? Brian Epstein does, uh, you know, obviously he didn't have children, but uh, mm. did. Uh, is there anybody? Is there any relatives of either Epstein, uh, the, the the boy, you know, the guys, the Fab Four, and uh, you know, I, I know Pete Best is still there, yeah. and Rogue uh, mm. is, is still there. He's got the museum, but who's there? Who do you? Uh, correspond with, or who have you corresponded with, who's still home, who's still in Liverpool? Um, those who are still there, um, <clears throat> Julie Baird, who's John Lennon's half-sister, um, she still spends quite a bit of time. She's heavily involved with the uh, the Cavern Club in Liverpool, so I, I see her regularly. Um, some of John's quarrymen, uh, Colin Hansen and Len Gary, still live in Liverpool. Um, Colin lives just the other side of uh, Penny Lane, so he's quite local to me. 
So you see them rounded about. Um, did you ever see the the movie Good Old Frida? Uh, oh yeah, terrific. when that came out. Yeah, terrific. she passed yeah. though. Frida passed, right? No, 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 no. Frida still around. Oh, no kidding. Oh, I I, I thought she. Yeah, had passed. yeah. I know her daughter. Her daughter is uh, is kind of picking up the Rachel. mantle, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. She's great. That, but yeah, I was only with them about. About three or four weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry. God, I'm um, sorry to say that about Frida. That I, I stand corrected. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. I, she was the head of their fan oh, club. Yeah, and she worked for Epstein. Yeah. And, uh, what what a what an amazing uh, story she has. What a, what a humble yeah. woman too that she is. But well, exactly. Yeah, she's just a, a lovely, lovely lady um, who still doesn't quite understand why people are interested in her story. But you know, she was there right at the heart of everything that was going on with the Beatles here. Um, and I think that's why the movie comes across so well. It's wonderful. Because, yeah, there, there's no pretensions in there. She's not making anything up. And she she tells the story that she wants to tell. Um, and she was so important, so important to the story back then. So, yeah, so Frida's still around. Um, a number of the, of the original crowd have now left us. Um, Sam Leach, Alan Williams died um, two three years ago. Uh, Johnny Hutchinson died quite recently. He was the drummer with the big three. He sat in with the Beatles as well. Um, as I say, Pete Best is still going, still performing. Um, there's a couple of um, uh, Brian's uh, nephews and nieces are still around. That's his brother Clive's uh, family. So again, they were quite a small family. So there's a few members of the family still around. And of course, uh, Paul's brother, Mike, Mike McCartney. Um, he's still around and he's still he's still doing um, photo exhibits. Um, and every now and again, some of the scaffold get back together. So he, he's still very much around in the, the neighborhood as well. Yeah, just really an amazing... Uh point of history and you know we've got to we've got to document either i'm becoming more pretentious or i'm just getting older uh, it, it just it's it, it just seems important to me to document what these folks have to say before they go yeah. and uh, you know and, you know even you know when you talk about hamburg and the folks they met in hamburg like when tony uh, sheridan passed i i thought it was uh, it, you know it, it was uh, a big mm. loss in many ways because yep. of his historical impact there but they there is tr so much footage of him and a, a decent amount of interviews with him but all the people that you just mentioned Frida I'm I'm you know I'm glad to know that she's alive and well and but the uh, the the fact that they made that movie I think was an important movie it's uh, yeah. you know really looking behind yeah so much importance here again Frank McKay here with David Bedford go to davidabedford.com Wonderful author, Beatles historian, and the, the keeper of the flames, uh, flame for for so many things that are Beatles. His websites are, are wonderful, and, and again, uh, you know, boy, I thank you as a uh, as as someone who thinks uh, the importance of the history of the Beatles and you know, mm. music and pop culture in general uh, is is urgent. You know, where it's an we is an urgent need to yep. keep it alive, and you're one of the people that are doing that. And again, they, uh, just. Amazing, uh, Liddy Paul uh, is uh, is his first book, and everyone's got to get that. Again, David Bedford here with me, Frank McKay, for a couple more moments. What can you add? What is there to to do yet as a historian, as a as someone like yourself? 
uh, book-wise? Are you in the middle of working on, on something new? But what's, what's left to do on the Beatles front to make sure that the history is preserved while people, you know, could still uh, remember it and the people that witnessed it are still there? What's, yep. what's to do? Uh, well, the, the, the book that I've published last year is Finding the Fourth Beatle. Um, and that was to to document um, how many Beatles drummers came and went. So if I was to ask you how many Beatles drummers could you name, how many, how many could you come up with? Uh, me? I, I mean, well, Best, yeah. <laughs> Best and, and Ringo, yeah. and then uh, the guy, uh, guy played in, in Hamburg with them for a little while. I'm trying to think of who that was. Uh, uh, after best right wasn't there somebody before uh, Ringo and and after best uh, and then well uh, do you count quarrymen folks do you count uh, yes, yes, yes. silver yes, Colin from the, the quarrymen how, how many are there yeah uh, well I I ended up with twenty three oh man you imagine <laughs> <laughs> I'm counting, so I'm counting on, on fingers here I need my toes <laughs> and plus some wow twenty three yeah. yeah some of them may have just made one appearance uh, one night. Some of them contributed to their to their records. Um, but I, I was keen, because obviously the, the, the main ones that people know, um, so you've got Colin Hanson, as you say, from the Quarrymen, Pete Best for those two years, 60 to 62, Ringo from 62 till, till 70. Um, and of course there was Jimmy Nickel in 64. Jimmy Nickel, right. He, he sat in right. yeah, for those couple of weeks. Um, but I was thinking that there's fascinating stories in there. Um, and just when you think there's nothing new to find, I found Brian Epstein's lawyer who'd drawn up the management contracts, etc., in 1962. And I was talking to him about the whole situation with Pete Best. Now, when I was in the insurance company, I uh, did qualifications in English law and contract law. And so I was quite curious to dig into the, the contract a little bit more. And as we're talking about how we, we've known since 1962 that Brian Epstein called Pete in and sacked him, and he was replaced by Ringo. So I'm talking to Brian's lawyer, and he says, but of course, Pete was never sacked because he couldn't be sacked. And say that again. <laughs> Pete was never sacked, said no. Pete was never sacked because he couldn't be sacked. First of all, Brian couldn't sack him because Brian didn't employ him or the Beatles. The Beatles employed Brian as their manager. So Brian couldn't sack him. Mm. And then you think, well, to be sacked, you've got to be employed. Well, who employed Pete? And the answer is nobody. He was in a legal partnership with John Paul and George as the Beatles. And in English law, you cannot sack a member of a partnership. That's amazing. So Pete yeah. wasn't sacked. And so I started digging into that story, and you find out they had to find a, a way of getting rid of him to trick him into thinking he was being sacked and getting him to quit. And that's what they did. So I, I uncovered that whole story. You know, it's, it's something we've that's accepted. Amazing. Yeah since 1962 and now we know that's not how it happened um, and then finally that there were three other drummers asked to replace Pete Ringo was the fourth drummer who said yes wow. <laughs> so it was never a case of 
went, yeah, we want to get rid of Pete and bring Ringo in. That that wasn't how it happened. That's the shortened was, version. That's the uh, that's the, yeah. the uh, Reader's Digest. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more complicated. So I, I went through that whole process and um, checked it as I do as a historian. You know, you have to corroborate it, check things are, are accurate. So I went through all of that, found out who the other drummers who were approached was their stories right, um, which which they were. And, yeah, just finding out that the whole changeover from Pete to Ringo. And there's been so much criticism of, of Pete because he tried to say, oh, Pete was a rubbish drummer. Ringo was great. Right. So instead of me, who's not a drummer, saying, well, Pete was great because I think he is, that means nothing. A lot of people denigrate Ringo and say, oh, he was just a lucky guy. So I thought, how are we going to prove this? It's go and speak to drummers. So in total, I interviewed about nine, I think it was different drummers of different ages to explain whether they thought Pete was a good enough drummer. And he said he was, he was a really good drummer. For what the Beatles were doing, he was a very good drummer. Mm. And then those to analyze Ringo's drumming. And I learned so much doing that. He said, go back and listen to the Beatles songs and listen for the drumming. Said, and Ringo was unique. He knew how to play the song. That's why other drummers are inspired by Ringo. So he was doing things naturally. Yeah. It's not stuff you could be taught. He was also you know, and it's a totally different way. He was also playing like a writer. Uh, you know, he was adding to the songs, and and he and George, uh, yep. you know, deserve so much credit for doing it on the fly. We're out of time, uh, unfortunately, but uh, it, yep. hopefully, I can get you back for a part two and a part three. Fascinating conversation, oh, absolutely, with uh, Liverpudlian yeah. <laughs> uh, historian and uh, just a great Beatle author. Everyone's got to get his books. And his latest is uh, Searching for the Fourth Beetle. Is that right? Is Finding that, the Fourth Beetle. Finding the Fourth Beetle. And, and again, davidabedford.com is where everyone should go. Buy all the books. Uh, uh, Finding the Fourth Beetle is, uh, is a book that's a must-get, as is Liddy Paul and his others. But uh, go, to, go to davidabedford.com as a starting point. David, congratulations on all your success, and thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you. Uh, my, my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Frank. David Bedford, everyone, has been our very special guest. Remember, go to davidabedford.com and, and buy everything this guy has. It's, it's just amazing the work that he's done. And it started with a doctor's prescription. He prescribed the Beatles, in essence. And, and boy, he's filled in so many of the blanks for folks like me and others that are curious about our pop culture's history and, of course, the, the Fab Four. davidabedford.com is where you should go. Frank McKay signing off. Uh, David Bedford, uh, Beatle historian and author, has been our very special guest. Podcaster, check out his podcast. It's wonderful. And we'll see you next time. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.